Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Just representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the focal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. So excited for today's episode. We have a new feature here on the podcast. I'll to try new stuff here on the show, and this time is no different. We have a two-part episode. We're going to be talking with Diane Neubauer, who is a sub-elite marathoner who has improved remarkably in the last three years. Just an absolutely astonishing improvement. I, I couldn't wait to talk to her about that. And then we talked to her coach, James McCurdy, who's been on the show many times before, the founder and co-owner of McCurdy Trained. And he basically talks about the same improvement that she experienced, but from the coach's point of view. So we're going to hear about the improvement from the athlete's perspective and then from the coach's perspective to really give a 360-degree view of exactly what occurred because it really is fast something that we all want to do, improve the way that Diane has. And uh, this was a fun conversation to do. But before we get into it, I do want to give a shout out to a new sponsor on the podcast, Tanry. Now, as runners, we spend a lot of time outdoors in the sun, and it's so important to make sure that we're protecting our skin. Tannery offers clean sunscreen products like SPF lip balms, mineral sunscreen, and after-sun restorative moisturizer. What makes them unique is that their products are specifically made for runners by runners. In addition, they're using clean ingredients, sustainable packaging, and I'll tell you what, I'm a big fan of a newer product that they have. Uh, first of all, I love the lip balms. That's a big thing for me, but Tannery has just just launched a new product, which is the more traditional sunscreens. They have the mineral sunscreen, which I used. That works incredibly well. They have a new traditional sunscreen that they just put out. This leaves zero white cast and has similar kind of feel to the mineral sunscreen in terms of its sweat resistance and its packaged in recyclable materials. Tannery products are reef safe and never tested on animals. It's the real deal. And like, like I said, there's two big things with runners, right? And these are non-starters. They need to make sure that, first of all, it's sweat-proof. It's going to stay on your skin and need to make sure that it's not going to make your eyes burn. Those are the two things for me, right? Like all these other things are certainly impactful. They are super important. I'm so glad that Tannery does all those things. But if they didn't lock down the sweat-proof part and if they didn't lock down the fact that it doesn't burn your eyes... And the other stuff doesn't matter. And they nailed it with their products. Tannery is also part of the 1% FTP and donates 1% of their gross sales each year. Tannery is spelled T-A-N-R-I. That's T-A-N-R-I. Go check out Tannery today. All right, now let's get into it with Diane and James. All right, we have Diane Neubauer on the show. Diane, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. Well, this is exciting. So we're doing a whole new kind of episode today. And people who have already heard the intro already know this. If you were to skip the intro, I don't know why, why are you doing that. But don't skip the intro. Just stay with us the whole time. But basically, we're going to talk to Diane, who was already super duper fast, but over the past few years has stepped up maybe you know one, two, even three levels and is performing at an incredibly fast level and doing some awesome things. We're going to talk to her about the improvement that she's done. And then after this conversation with Diane, we're going to hop over and talk to her coach, James McCurdy, and see what his perspective has been on this improvement. So Diane, thank you for being a bit of a guinea pig in the Rambling Runner podcast feed. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. This is awesome. All right. So hey, 
First of all, congratulations on this weekend. Thank you. Yeah, it's a week away. It, or it was just a week, which is crazy to think. Uh, it seems longer and like it was yesterday. So there you go. So how are you feeling post Boston? Pretty good. You know, I really relaxed last week. Um, hung out with my kids slept in I ran today and I was like I feel awesome and then I came like we're in PA right now so Idaho was pretty flat where I was training for Boston and I came down a hill and my quads were like I hate you right now so I'm definitely sore than I thought I was so just we're just kind of easing back into things right now no nothing's on the schedule if I want to run I can run this week um, so we'll kind of see how I'm feeling Got it. And do you have a traditional like post marathon re like recovery slash re entry into the running process? Well, since working with James, he's traditionally had me take two weeks off. Um, so my first marathon was last April with him, which is the McCurdy, Michigan. And he had me take two weeks off and I kind of like flipped out, like not flipped out, but I just had a really hard time with it. I was like two weeks off running and you're like, you're crazy. Like, this is so hard. And then I really enjoyed it after Chicago. Um, although I think like I texted him one day and I was like, can I please run? Like, it's so nice out. And he was like, go for 30 minutes. And then I was like, that was terrible. And he's like, see, I know what I'm talking about, which he says to me a lot. And uh, so I was kind of surprised when he was like, you can run this week if you're feeling it. So, um, you know, every marathon's different. But yeah, I'm trying to honor this time off. Um you know, you want to jump right back into things, but I'm like, already, it's kind of nice. I don't have to run like 30 some miles this weekend. Like I can go to the zoo with my kids and hang out and uh, just enjoy it because I know, you know, we'll blink our eyes and be back into like full training seven days a week. There you go. Absolutely. All right. And, and part of the genesis of this conversation and why I wanted to have you on was actually a post that, uh, that you've done. And you've, you've talked on this topic uh, many times, but it was a pretty concise post where you basically talked about, hey, in your mid-20s, from a half marathon perspective, you're around the 130s for a while and you were kind of living in that range for quite a bit. And then you had your first child and you brought it down a little bit. You had your second child and then you hired a coach, obviously this was James McCurdy at that point, and things start to really move in a direction for you, which I've found to be really interesting because, you know, a lot of people have hit those plateaus at different points in their life, either at different races, at different distances, or just in general fitness level. And there can be a lot of reasons for that. So take me back to that period in time where you were hovering in the 130s at, in the half marathon Um just how how did you view running and your workouts and where was running in your life? Sure. Yeah. So I ran in high school. I ran in college. Um, D3. Um, Go always, D3. What school? Yes. Uh, Cabrini. Okay. So right outside Philly. So ran there, had a great experience, but you know, I would, I mean, I don't, love to talk about it, but it's a part of my journey. I had an eating disorder in high school and all through college. So when you're not feeling your body, it's really hard to perform. And I would get hurt a lot. And it was kind of just like this vicious cycle. Um, and I got a lot of help in college and then even post-college. So I think post-college, I ran my first half and I, I kind of took a, a break from like running a lot. Like I would go to the gym but I would always kind of find running. Um, I was still coaching, um, 
at actually Cabrini as the assistant coach. I'd run with the team here and there, but I didn't really follow a consistent training program. Um, I was kind of just focusing on getting healthy um, and, you know, learning to like just be normal. I was teaching and uh, yeah, coaching and I worked like loft, like kind of make ends meet, I guess. Um, so running was kind of there, um, but it wasn't. I signed up for my first half marathon, I think the fall after college. And I ran 145 and I was like, this is awesome. Like I ran eight minute pace. Like that's pretty good. Right. And then the next year, I think I ran like eight minutes faster and I just kind of was running a little bit more consistently, but not a ton. Um, but definitely just like at a healthier place, um, in my, you know, eating disorder recovery. Um, and yeah, I just kind of ran, like I ran the Philly half marathon every year for a couple of years. Um, you know, I was just busy working. I didn't race a ton, but just kind of enjoyed running. But in the winter I would like kind of cycle. And so I wouldn't say I was like a serious consistent runner, if that makes sense. And, um, then I ran my first marathon. So I had like a kind of a bad breakup and I was like, I'm going to run a marathon. Like, this is going to be awesome. Like this will, I'll focus on this all summer. And I, so I ran Philly um, my brother and I ran it together and I went out way, way, way too fast and, uh, ran 350 because I totally hit the wall at mile 20. And at that time, yeah, to get back to the half marathon, sorry, I, I veered off the course. No, it's fine. This is part of the journey. I was, I, you had talked about half marathon, so I brought it up that way, yeah. but that, that, that by no means was like the point of the question. So no, I appreciate you expanding on it. Yeah. So I you know, I think in that point in time, gosh, yeah, I was like running in the mid one thirties. So, um, my second marathon, the next year I ran Philly and I did qualify for Boston. And I think I might've ran a half then, but like still in the one thirties, like I remember thinking like I could never break one thirty because that was under seven minute miles. And that just seemed insane to me. Like that just seemed way too fast. Like in my mind, I just could never do that. Let's explore that. Um, did you have running peers of yours, either in high school or a college, that you looked at that maybe were running those times? Or did you just have trouble, like, just with top-end speed and some of your workouts? Why was why did you have this mental barrier at, at like, at 130? Was it just, like, because it's a round number? Because, like, not only is it 130 a round number, but also seven-minute-per-mile pace is kind of a round number, which is, like— I guess seven minute per base, seven minute per mile base is one thirty two, so it doesn't perfectly align, but it's all kind of comes together there. Yeah, I think like a girl in high school, I ran with. I saw that she ran like one thirty, and I remember thinking like, "Wait, that's sub seven pace." Like, I mean, at that time, my best like five k time was nineteen thirty, and I was just like, "That's just never happening." Like, that's just so fast for it. Just seems so fast for so long. So how did you view people who were doing it? Or did you just not think about it? Like, you know, in terms of like, whether it was pros or sub elites or just people like you're at these half marathons, there's other people who were running, who were beating you in some of these races. And I don't, it's, it's, I'm saying beating like loosely. That's not like you were competing with them, but did you just view it like you had like just genetically, you didn't have what they had or how, how are you putting it in context for yourself? I just thought I could never run that fast. Like, I don't know. I just didn't think that that was me. I don't, 
and I, yeah, I just thought like that was just really out of my realm. Like I was a good runner, but I wasn't like a great runner. All right. So let's talk about your training during that time. So, um, I guess a, a typical week or month, what would it like say, say is a typical month? What would a week look like during that month in terms of like, you know, from a mileage perspective and what maybe the workouts were doing, how you approach your easy runs, your running coach, you know how to talk about this stuff. So how would you classify what you were doing during those, during those years um, to get yourself in that position? Cause it's not like running the 130s isn't great. It's fantastic. There's a lot of people who view that as a, a lifetime goal. So I'm not trying to diminish that at all, but I just want to kind of set the stage for, for to juxtapose it with what you ended up doing later. Yeah. So I would say I wasn't super consistent. You know, I would let like just little things get in the way, like work and social things. Um, so that hurt me. But I mean, I... I think I ran, like, I remember when I qualified for Boston, I remember running my peak week was like 50 and I would run five days a week. So, you know, I had my long run there. I normally had some type of tempo. I definitely did all my easy runs too fast. Like I was just like the classic kind of not hot mess, but like first time runner, like not that I was a first time runner because I ran in college and high school, but like getting into this distance world, like I had no idea. So were you running a lot of your easy runs at marathon pace? Probably. If I, I mean, I don't know. We didn't have Strava back then, so I don't know. Uh, that's right. I, was, I remember looking at some of my, I think it was like 27, 28, looking at some of my plans. It was not Strava, but it was like, I would send Word documents back and forth to my coach. And it was so funny. It was like, you know, five miles of 740 pace. And like, I was like trying to train for eight minute pace at the marathon. And it was just kind of like, whatever. Like I wasn't listening. Like, I was just like completely going by the seat of my pants in that same age range that you're talking about right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I ran my first marathon, I used to train with my brother for some of my long runs. And he ran his first marathon in 250. And I was probably in like... 340 shape three well no like probably I could have probably if I trained smart and like raced smart I probably could have run my first marathon maybe in 330 like on a good day and yeah I shouldn't be training with a 245 marathoner for long runs that was crazy yeah absolutely that that's funny obviously like it hints at the talent in there for sure but do you think that you that that approaching running that way in a, you know, obviously it was something that was important to you, but you, you did have a more casual approach to it than you maybe, than you have now, I guess is a way of putting it. Um, do you think that you needed to approach running in that way, considering your history with running and, and having the eating disorder and being in a position where, um, you know, just getting back into running in a, maybe a more casual sense was more healthy or f just was healthier for you from a long-term perspective? Definitely. I mean, I don't think I'd be running what I was today if I, I don't know, like just kept pushing. I mean, I needed to kind of figure out feeling my body and like liking my body and liking myself in a way um, to be able to run, especially endurance. And, and this is a weird way to think about it, but I think like moving to the half marathon and marathon kind of like not saved me in a way, but you have to fuel your body for those. Like I could get away with a 5k probably in college, not well, you know, it, uh, you build that up and, you know, I'd have a stress fracture, I think once in college, once in high school, but I think 
after college, I kind of needed to take the pressure off running. I tried some running groups. They just felt really competitive. Like I just kind of needed to fall back in love with running, if that makes sense. And not use it as like punishment for eating or use it, you know, as a weight management thing, just kind of do it because I loved it. And then that competitive kind of ness got put on the back burner, if that makes sense. Did it also help that you were, uh, you were going at distances that you didn't have like a comparison point to earlier in your life? Like if you kept running 5Ks, I guess there was a chance you could be like, well, I when I did this 5K when I was 19, I ran so-and-so time. What am I doing now? Oh, sure. I used to always say, like, I've run a bajillion 5Ks. I'm never running one again because I'll never be as fast as I was in college, which is not true right now. But no, <laughs> <laughs> who would have thought? But, uh, oh, yeah, for sure. I'm like, um, when I first started working with James, he did the mile series. And I was like, I'm not doing that. And then I was like, wait, I hired a coach to try new things. But I was like, I'm never going to run as fast a mile as I did, like, at the state meet, you know, in high school. But I'm, I think I did. So there you go. All right. So let's talk about running after your first child. So your first child is born. Okay. At that point, um, obviously you were running seriously. You were running a lot of races. Um, what was the decision process like for you about when slash if to get back into running after your first child? Yeah. So I had my son, we got pregnant pretty soon after I ran my first Boston in 2016. Um, so I was kind of like, I was in good shape and then I got pregnant and, um, I ran a little bit. I got pregnant, I think in July with my son, um, here and there, but running like did not feel great when I was pregnant with my first um, I think I was just like nervous. And then it was winter. We were living overseas in Germany. I I didn't have a ton of people to run with um, at the time. So I kind of just said, oh, well, I'll do the, you know, I would do spin and other things. Um, so by the time I had my son, I don't think I'd run in a couple months um, for sure, which was totally fine. I think every pregnancy is totally different. Um, but I was definitely bummed about like feeling like, I'm a runner. I should have been running all these miles. You know, you see on Instagram, all these women running a thousand miles whether they're pregnant or doing all these crazy things. And I just didn't feel that great to do it. Um, which was fine. I had my son, we had a really difficult birth. I ended up, um, having an emergency C-section. Um, I remember my brother who ran marathons, my little one asking me like, how did it feel compared to a marathon? And I was like, it felt like I ran 10 marathons and then a truck ran me over because it was just so hard. Um, that first baby just, there was a lot of complications with the C-section. And, um, so it took my body a really long time to heal. I don't even think I attempted running until I was almost eight weeks postpartum. Um, and I would kind of just go for little jogs. We lived in this village in Germany around the village is pretty hilly. Um, or, you know, I had the, the Bob as, you know, I'm a runner cause I really identified as a runner. Um, you say that's the, that's the Bob stroller for the non-parents. We, we also had the Bob. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We had, we had, we had one upstairs as well. Oh, they're amazing. But, um, I really struggled to leave my son when he was little. Um, I definitely had some postpartum depression and anxiety. 
And I was like terrified to leave him. So when you can't leave a baby and he would just scream in the bob, like he was the worst stroller baby ever. Um, I really didn't run consistently until I got some help for the postpartum depression and anxiety um, until he was like seven or eight months old. Consistently. I was running here and there. Um, I would go to like stroller running groups, but he would just cry and it would just like send my nerves. Like it would just, it was just too much for me. Um, so that was really hard because I identified as a runner. I wanted to be out there running, but I also had this like pull of like, I, I like physically like felt like sick when I left my son, it, it didn't make sense. And I needed to kind of figure that out before I could, you know, be me again, I guess, in a way. But um, I finally found like a good group of moms to run with. And kind of like, oh, they wake up early. Like, this is what moms have to do. Like, they wake up before their kids get up and before their husbands go to work, especially in the military, um, where typically, you know, you might be a stay-at-home mom. And so just finding them and then just running kind of consistently with them, because then it added like a social aspect to my life that I was kind of missing um, as a new mom with a baby living overseas. So I ran my first race. I remember my husband just deployed right before my son turned one and it was a half marathon and I PR'd, I think in like 136. Whoa. And I was like, wait, I just did that. Like, Where did that crazy. come from? Yeah. Where did that come from? Because I really wasn't training that long consistently. Um, and then from there, I kind of just like got the, not the bug, but like, just like became like, I had all these friends to run with. My husband was deployed. I pushed my son in the stroller or run on the treadmill, you know, when he went to bed or even like, you know, I was, I would hire a babysitter. I got to a point where I like trusted someone to leave my son with, which was huge for me. And like, I would meet my friends and we started running long. Some of them were training for marathons. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to um, sign up for a marathon. My husband was supposed to be deployed six months, but he came home in three. So I was able to run a marathon that following fall. So, and that summer I went from like running, I think 136 to I ran two half marathons in 127. And that was just kind of consistent training. I did start adding in some like, um, workouts. I kind of followed Jack Daniels, like V dot program that, um, one of the ladies I was running with kind of like pieced together. We like kind of pieced it together and kind of fit it in. Um, but I would say I was probably running six days a week and I ran Frankfurt, which was October of gosh, I guess it was 2018, I believe. Cause my son was born in 2017. He was like 18, 19 months old. And I ran a 307. So that was a huge PR for me. Wow. All of a sudden, you're running a marathon at a pretty close to a pace that you didn't think you'd ever run a half marathon at. Yeah. Right? And then you'd, you'd run the 127. So when you ran the 127, or maybe it was in training, maybe it didn't happen on race day, um, but was there ever a paradigm-shifting moment? And we can have multiple of these in our lives, but the point where like, you know, the, you know whether it was the paradigm shifting moment or the goalpost being moved, where obviously, like you said, hey, I'll never be able to do this. Well, then you did it. So 
when you hit that point, did you recalibrate on like what, what what the potential was, or did you did you kind of have this feeling like, all right, I'm now scraping up against my potential? I definitely wanted to get faster. Like it was definitely like an open a door opened and was like, wait, I can, like. I think I always had the marathon. Then at that point, I was always thinking like, wait, can I break three hours in the marathon? Like I just ran 307. Like how cool would it be to break three? How cool would it be to break, you know, 125, I think at the time, like seemed really fast to me. Yeah, I think it's fast for a lot of people. It's I mean, fast it for is me. Fast. I'm just it thinking about it right Sorry. now. But hey, but here you are. No, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that tongue in cheek because you're here, you've run 127. And obviously the faster you go, you know, cutting two minutes off your half marathon time is different at 125 than this for 145 because the percent difference is different. For sure. You know, like, you know, you don't see like a 206 marathon being like, oh, I just got to cut a minute off my marathon time. Like that's really hard at that level. It's a huge percent increase. Whereas like for a four hour marathon or cutting a minute off of your marathon time is fantastic, but it's a much smaller percent increase. Again, no shade to anybody. This is the math of it. Um, So no, I I totally get what you're saying for sure. So let's, let's fast forward a little bit. Because after your second child, and this is what you posted and I thought was you know right on the money, you basically said, hey, I think, please correct me if I'm wrong, but you kind of used the, the phrasing of, and you had like invested in yourself, that you wanted to hire a coach. So talk to me about that decision and you know what that signified for you in terms of what you wanted to do as a runner. So yeah, to kind of go backwards, you know, I think after I ran that 307, I kind of like I said, like kind of opened the doors for me, but we knew we wanted to have another baby. So I pretty much got pregnant right after that. Um, because I was like, I qualified for Boston again. And I'm gonna run it in March 2020, which was funny, because it didn't happen. But I was very lucky, I was able to run through my second pregnancy, like I ran the Paris Marathon, I ran a couple halves with friends, like I was just able to train pretty consistently and run pretty consistently almost to the end. Um, so I had you know, my whole pregnancy, I kind of was like, I need to put running kind of first because I found that like, that was just like, not first, but I needed to ha- make running like a priority in my life because of what happened with my first son. I think, you know, you have your first child. I think most parents agree, it like completely changes your world. But I knew that running makes me feel more like Diane and I needed to, to have that, like to feel that. So I was very excited that I would, you know, I kind of figured out, wait, I'll be nine months postpartum when Boston rolls around, like I'll have enough time to train. So, um, second baby comes along. Um, I was able to run until like, I think like 33 weeks pregnant. And then I had some issues and I was kind of put on bed rest, but, um, so not my whole pregnancy, but close. But a whole lot different than the first one. Yes, a whole lot different. And um, so I had a C-section with my second as well after the complications of my first. So it took about six to eight weeks till I could really start running. Um, you know, I kind of honored my body and listened to it, which I'm super thankful um, that I did and didn't kind of rush back into things. And then I kind of started training for Boston. So I kind of went back to that like, Jack Daniels plan I used and just kind of tried to slowly increase my mileage, adding in, you know, he has like uh, the threshold workouts and, you know, some half marathon pacing, nothing crazy, but just, you know, try to get out there, increase my mileage. Um, And I was seeing like really great results. Like, you know, I was just 
wow, I'm just getting faster. Like, this is really cool. Um, and I remember like as a big moment for me, I was trained for Boston. Um, I ran a 20 mile trail race actually in Pennsylvania where I am now, now at my mom's house, we were visiting family and I won, which was, I mean, I've won races. I had run races before that, but it was kind of cool because I was like totally unprepared for it. I had no idea. Like I was like, Oh, it will get me ready for Boston. It's like going to be hilly. Like it was like, I was like climbing up mountains. I didn't have trail shoes on. Um, my kids were, I mean, Noah at that point, my youngest is Noah. He was only six months old. I was still exclusively breastfeeding. So I'm like, okay, I have only a couple hours to do this race. I was going to say 20 K you better, you better run quick, man. Yeah. <laughs> kids are going to get hungry. Obviously you can pump and all that stuff, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. Oh, yeah. This wasn't a, this wasn't a Cami Semic moment. You weren't, weren't breastfeeding at the aid stations or anything. No. So it was a 20 miler. So a little different than 20 K. Oh, I think it's a 20 K. I apologize. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That is, this is very different. Yeah. So my mom was there like before with the baby and after. So, but the Olympic trials were on that day and I remember seeing it. And I mean, I've always been a fan of running, but as like, I feel like I've become a bigger fan over the years, if that makes sense. And seeing like moms, like I remember I saw, and I don't remember the athlete's name, but she was like pumping before the trials. I'm like, if they can do this, like maybe I can do this. And and I'm like, here I am running so good. Like, I think I, I don't know if three, I'm going to break three hours at Boston, nine months postpartum, but maybe I could. And then, you know, I'm like, I, you know, they all have coaches and maybe I should invest. It was kind of in my mind, but then I thought like, I'm just a mom. Like, I, I, I don't believe I'm just a mom, but like, I think you think that like, I have two young kids, my husband's in the military, like hiring a coach is extra money. I, I'm, I wasn't working. Um, but it was kind of like that planted the seed of maybe I should kind of take, like, take this to the next level. So I go back, you know, I, I'm, we, we lived in Idaho at the time. So I go back to Idaho, I'm still running. And then COVID happens. And I think the Boston Marathon, the day it got canceled, I was like, I'm going to reach out to coach because now I don't know what to do. Like, here I am. I'm, you know, a couple, I was what, a month out from Boston when it got canceled? I think it got canceled. Yeah. Um, what do I do? Like, and so I reached out to a couple places and like that day, James called me <laughs> and then I, you know, signed on with him with just saying like, Hey, I just want to break three hours. You know, I told him my times, like my best time, I think in the, a 5k was 1930. My best time in the half was 127. I was six months, seven months postpartum at that time. Um, and he just happened to have an opening because like, you know, James McCurdy, I feel like he always, you know, he coaches really fast people. He coaches everyone, but like typically you know, he, he coaches, coaches really all. fast people and then occasionally coaches people like Matt Chittum. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he coaches everyone, but I thought like he would just, I yeah, thought being no, actually. Yeah, for sure. Right. We, we've all seen, we all see his Instagram stories. He's, he's sitting there riding his bike next to John Ranieri and, exactly. Andrew, yeah, and all these people. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny because I'm like, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a mom. Like he's going to part me up with like a mom. And I was kind of disappointed because, you know, he has a couple like really awesome mother runner coaches. I was kind of like, okay, I guess like he wants to take me. We'll see how this goes. But <laughs> so funny. But yeah, so that was kind of why 
I don't know. I think it was like the trials and then, um, you know, Boston getting canceled in a way that kind of led me, made the push to really say like, let's, let's give this a try. And I signed up for six months and it's been two years. So there you go. All right. So obviously there's the mental side of this and there's the physical side of this. So um, you can take it any direction you want to, but looking back now, what were some of the changes that happened once you started working with a coach that really set yourself up for success later on that you maybe hadn't been doing uh, up to that point? I, it's, I don't know if I should say this, but when you're like paying for a coach, you're like, okay, well, I'm paying for this. Like that was at first, that was like a big, like motivator in a way, like I'm paying for this. So I'm going to do what this person says. So it was like the accountability mechanism of having a coach. Yes. And then also just like, I am like, I'm kind of a rule follower. Like I like, like, like if he's going to, if he told me to run 30 minutes, I'm going to run 30 minutes and three seconds, you know, like I'm going to run the 30 minutes, like just having that, you know, I'm not going to not run where I might've in the past because, you know, I was like, I mean, I, we still had such young kids at that time. Like, you know, I was up, you know, nursing half the night, you know, I kind of just, made it work like the investment I wanted to do what I wanted to give like myself the chance if I was going to take this chance with a coach if that makes sense absolutely absolutely and you mentioned to him what your goals were at what point in the process did he start to express what his own potential goals were for you or what he thought that you were capable of doing Uh, I know you know James personally and you know and I know that he you know, loves to think big with this sort of stuff. So when, when did those sorts of conversations happen? And, and, and what were those conversations like? So I remember the first time I ran, you know, the McCurdy Mile series was a series McCurdy Train put on um, the summer, like of 2020. And I think my first mile, I want to say it was like under 530. You know, and I went out and I measured like a long strip along, we lived on a military base in Missouri at the time on the flight line. I woke up at the crack of dawn because it's so hot in Missouri in the summertime. And, um, I don't even think James knew it. Like I didn't even have racers. So I go out in my trainers and I'm just like, I told my husband, like, just meet me at the finish line with the kids and just like started my Garmin and ran a mile. And I remember like, I mean, I think it was, way faster than what we predicted on, you know, on V dot, which is what James uses. And, uh, I remember him like saying in the message, like when you're ready to run a marathon, like you're going to break, like, we're not going to even be focused on running three hours, like under, you know, like three hours won't even be the goal. Um, and then, yeah, like we just kind of kept, When you you read that, were you, how did that hit you? Like, did that make you nervous? Did it make you excited? Did it make you a little like scared? You're like, who is this guy? I just hired this coach and he's now, you know, telling me like, oh, well, that's so far beyond what you're capable of doing. Like, what what was that like when you read that? I think all of those emotions you just named. (laughs) 
Like, I'm like, okay. But also, this is during COVID when there's no races. So I'm like, when this marathon happens, who Good knows? Point. And Good it's point. just a mile, right? This like, hypothetical race that may happen in the future. Yeah. Like, it's just a mile. Like, I was really like, why? I kind of thought it was crazy. Like, why are you making me run miles? Like, this is insane. But it was really fun. No, that is cool. All right. So let's talk about, you know, as you progressed, you know, from that moment to now, how has your you know, your training, how you approach training. And I know that fueling is a big thing, not only because of what we talked about uh, in terms of your eating disorder earlier on um, in your running career, but you've also talked about how, like, you know, even independent of that, that your fueling strategies have gotten you to the point now that you you put a lot of pride in that and that, that that's my word, not yours, but that it's, it's really contributed to what you're able to accomplish now. So if you wouldn't mind speaking generally about, you know, how things have progressed in the past year and a half or so? Um, I think it was two New Year's ago because I was thinking you might ask a question like this. And I remember telling my husband, my New Year's goal is to let running take up a lot of, like I'm going to let it take up a lot of space in my life. I think I heard like Kira D'Amato say that. Like we, I just let it take up a lot of space and like kind of do it unapologetically. Um, like if we're going to do this thing, let's do it. And so, you know, like, I remember one time James was like, what racers do you wear? And I like got like the cheapest pair I could find. And he's like, you deserve, like, why don't you deserve what, you know, I'm like, I don't need those. I'm not like, a, I don't need the fast running shoes, you know, like I've been fine. And, you know, we invested in the running shoes. Um, you know, we, inv- you know, we let, you know, as you know, as a parent, like, running, especially now, like, you know, during a marathon cycle, like I'm running seven days a week, it takes up a lot of time and energy, but we've kind of let it. Um, You know, of course, I feel guilty sometimes about it. But like, my husband picks up a lot of slack, like when I'm in those peak weeks of marathon training. And, you know, we've let it take up some of I joke, like I do some coaching on the side to like, pay for my coach and pay for all the shoes and the nutrition. Um, but you know, I really invested last fall in, um, I hired a wonderful, um, Lisa, I think she's been on your show, Barton. Lisa Lisa Braden. Braden. Thank you. Yes. Lisa has been on the show. Yeah. Yes. Uh, hired her to really help me because, you know, I was feeling my body, but not enough for what the activity I was doing. And I just didn't know, like, I thought like, you know, I don't think you know how much like energy, you know, I started running like you know, my peak weeks back in the day used to be 50. And now I'm running 60 miles on like a normal week. And then James, you know, has me running crazy amounts of miles that I never thought would be possible. Um, what, what are those miles? You got you to share with Diane. Come on. What, what are they? Well, for Boston, this cycle, we've got we got up to, I think, 95. So I haven't hit wow. 100 yet. I feel like that's wow. like, you know, I got sick because I have kids. And they got me sick. So then we've always had to adjust. I'm like, I just need to like not see my kids a whole marathon training cycle and not get a cold. But, um, but yeah, like, you know, 80s seems normal to me now. It's all relative, right? Mm-hmm. But like really just investing, I think I just invested and I try to do all the little things that, that I used to not do. Like, 
Oh, let's dive into this. This is great. Yeah, I just spoke <laughs> with Heather Peck earlier today. This was a hot topic of conversation. Let's let's hit this because I know these little things are so easy to skip, but if you do them for a long period of time, they can make a big difference. So I'd love to hear more. Yeah, like we, you know, I try to do the mobility. Like my two-year-old has his own mobility little strap that every time I take out my yellow band, he takes out his green band. And I try to do core, especially... um that was a big focus. I had to work with a pelvic floor PT this last year with some um, post-C-section issues that I had. Um, you know, even if it's like my husband will laugh, like he'll come home and I'm doing it with a mat on the bathroom as my kids are in the bath. And I'm like, this is just how I can fit it in my life right now. Right. Good point. But it's getting done. It's not perfect. It's not in a gym. It's normally with a kid crawling on me. But you know, I tried to do the little things I invested in the rapid reboots and, um, you know, I try to do the Epsom salt bath. Like I want to, you know, I, it, it looks crazy probably to a pro and I'm not at the pro level, obviously, and getting paid to do this, but I'm trying to make it work, um, in my life as a mom, um, trying to, you know, be as fast as I can be right now. All right, let's talk about the, men, the the mentality and the mindset associated with this. You know, we spent some time about you in your 20s being like, man, how could anyone run 130? I can't do that. I, there's no way I could do that, right? And then, you know, the the walls to what you could accomplish started to fall. And then here you are, you use the imagery of opening a door to this whole new area. So as you've continued to improve and continue to improve, and um, but what when you look at how you're approaching growth and improvement, how has that shifted over the last, again, 18 to 24 months? You know, it's still a little crazy to me, Matt. Like, it's, it's, I kind of was bummed about my Boston result, to be, you know, honest. Um, I had a just a back tough end of the race. Um, you know, we were hoping to run under 240 and, but then like, you know, so like, I'm like, I'm bummed about that. But then I have to honestly, when I, if someone ever asked me in my marathon time, like I have to think like, I want to say like 344, because to me in my mind, like, I'm like, you ran 244. Like I, it, it kind of blows my mind that like, that's like when James sends me paces, I'm like, I can't do that, but I can like, I can't, I, there's definitely still a mental block there and we're working on it. But sometimes it's better if I don't think about it, like it, <laughs> think about those paces and those times. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think like the faster you get, you just want to keep getting faster. I think it's true for any level of runner, but, you know, also remembering like where you were and where you started is very like humbling. Right. And have you been, have you been able to improve while like really focusing on like the times and paces or are you one of those people? And, and it, it, this, this can be seasonal, right? There can be parts of your of life where, where things can change, where neat, who someone needs to be like kind of independent of like, all right, no, I can't, I can't focus on that sort of thing. It has to just be more like, all right, how did I run today? Did I meet the intent of the workout and then go from there and kind of move on or versus more like hyper type A focused on what are the times? How did I compare to that? And how does that, you know, stack up to what I've done in the past? I think I do look at times, but it takes a lot of the joy out of running when I do that. James has told me multiple times, you're not a robot. 
And as I've worked with him more and more, I think I'm better at looking at the intention of the workout and being like, you know, in Idaho, like sometimes we'd run in 20 mile per hour winds. Like I am not going to hit a pace when I'm running into a 20 mile per hour headwind and that's okay. And, you know, as a coach, like I wouldn't tell my athletes like, oh, you did terrible today. You didn't hit like to the second. So I try to give myself that little grace because otherwise it's really like it's, it's, doesn't do you any favors. You know, like I remember for Chicago, I kind of had a difficult build and I would kept comparing and James was like, just stop because it's just, yeah, it's taking the joy out of running. It's, it's not helpful. And I actually had like a really great race at Chicago, you know, given, given the weather. So I don't know, running is tough, especially the personalities it draws. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And, and when you think about goal setting, how does, you know, how has that changed, right? Because you were at 307, you're like, it would be great to break three one day. And here you are like, hey, I ran 244 at Boston. Yeah, it was fine, but it wasn't what I was hoping for, right? Like you've you've entered different, you know, tiers and levels as a runner in terms of how your performance stacks up. So what are some of the goals now, whether it's this year or more long term? Oh, it's hard, Matt. So I think like you have this I, big smile on your face. There's something that you want to say. You like you you like big smile. Like oh, I don't know, but I feel like you do know. I would love to qualify for the trials. Um. So you know, if I could break that new time at so we should say know, that's two thirty seven now for people who are unaware. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. I think. It's not impossible. I keep telling myself when I qualify for the trials, but I don't want, you know, I don't want to like be not bummed, but I don't want it to like consume me. I think I want to be get as fast as I can. Um, these, you know, I'm 33. So what people are running fast until in their for until their forties right now. I mean, well, we just saw 60. we just saw Heather, who I talked I to three hours ago, who just ran three oh three at Boston at age sixty. So yeah, yeah, anything is possible. The sky is the limit. So, um, but I think like in the next, you know, for twenty twenty four, in the next year and a half, I think I have. I'm the worst. I think I have like a year and a half still, right? Right. I would love to run that that time. Um, so we'll see. There you go. That's really exciting. All right. Um, last question before we talk to James and, and for people who are listening to this, I'm literally hanging up with Diane and then getting on the phone with James. They're not having you on different days. I'm literally going from one conversation to another. Uh, before we do that, however, um, what are some of the things that you are are excited to work on and get better at as a runner? Yeah. So I kind of hinted at it, but I don't think it's so we're moving from like living in the middle of nowhere, Idaho to living um, in the suburbs of Philadelphia. So I would love if you're like DM me if you're in the suburbs of Philly um, to like start running with more people. I've been blessed to have like some social running partners, but I would love to have some people to push me. You got to get up with with Sam Recker and her 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 running crew. Uh do you see? Do you see? So Sam was the, so she ran. Um, I think it was two twenty nine at the marathon project. 
but yes, she oh, the nurse. But she, yeah. Yes, the nurse who just ran Boston and set the world record She's for scrubs. For me. Well, you know, she just ran your around your time at Boston a little while ago. Well, in scrubs. <laughs> well, hey, Diane, you ran with the two forty five marathoner when you were a three forty five marathoner. I think this is a smaller gap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So no. So I would love to just yes. Like kind of because that's kind of out of my comfort zone a little bit, like to put myself out there and try, you know, to run with some faster as fast people. Um, so that's kind of a goal. I think right now we're going to focus on getting a little faster, like in like the shorter distances to hopefully equate to a faster marathon. Um, so doing some shorter races, which as you know, well, are you a marathoner? You're doing a marathon. I'm getting right? back into it. Your... I'm getting back into the flow. I'm heading to Eugene in a couple of days to run a marathon. That's amazing. That's awesome. Um, but like, you know, 5Ks are really scary to me. So trying to maybe do some 5Ks this summer. I want to race more. I think, you know, with COVID and then young kids and just like we've moved a lot. Um, I'd like to put myself back in the community and just kind of, yeah put on that McCurdy crop and get out there and race some more. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Racing is a skill. And for a lot of people, it's a skill that most of us didn't work on for a while. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Diane, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. I really appreciate it. And best of luck to you moving forward. Thank you so much. Have a great night. All right. We are back. With Rambling Runners, most popular and featured coach, James McCurdy, is in the house to talk about Diane Neubauer. All of you just heard Diane talking about her training, her life, her running uh, really over the last 15 years or so with a really heavy emphasis on the last uh, six or seven. And we're here talking with James specifically about what he's done and worked with Diane over the past almost two years now. Um, yeah, just a little and, over to uh, March, March 13th of 2020. Did you look that up? I know you're good with numbers. Did you look that up before the call? No, I remember it because it was right after or right before the Gate River 15K. Um, and that was like the last big race that happened before all the races got canceled. Yeah, because she said that she, she contacted a couple different coaching services when Boston was canceled. Because she said, like, hey, what do I do now? Kind of like, I know some people are like, see you later coaching. There's no more races. And other people were like, I really need some help here because I don't know what to do because this whole thing is so turbulent. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely, um, definitely interesting uh, when she first came on board because we were really excited. She was, she was, I knew she was uh, registered for Chicago, but we didn't know what was going to happen. And then, of course, all hell breaks loose and she's gone. All right. So she talked about, I'm not going to do the whole thing. Like she talked about now you talk about, um, but she did talk about like just what her intake form was like, all right, like these are some of my goals and things like that. And how she had run at that point had, had hit 127 and a half and had run 307 in the marathon um, and had done so uh, basically after her first pregnancy. And so when you saw, and you see a lot of these forms, what, did anything jump out to you when you saw the questionnaire or, or after your first phone call with her? Not really. Uh, I mean, Diane is a remarkable person, but you don't know someone's 
true self uh, in a in a ten minute phone call, right? Um, so there was nothing that was remarkable. It wasn't like she was some all American in high school that uh, and and in college that uh, had these amazing times. She was a good athlete, but she wasn't this the stellar athlete, right? Um, I just happened to have a spot open up. So I took her on as a personal athlete. It was, it was literally as simple as that. And, that, um, and as I got to know her, we, we started training uh, right away for the McCurdy Mile series that we put on two years ago. And all of a sudden, like this, this, this postpartum, seven-month postpartum athlete uh, just started getting faster and faster and faster. And I was like, wow, mom strength. This is awesome. You know, like this is a really cool thing for her. Um, but yeah, it, it just it just happened to happen to fall into place like that. And she detailed her first McCurdy mile, which just seemed to be like a, a shift, like a a watershed moment for her. Not not simply because of how the race turned out, but for the message that you provided after that race. You know, as you talked to her, she ran roughly five thirty in her trainers out at the you know basically at the Missouri airfield. Um, and after that, that you had some some big time projections for her marathoning future. I did. I did. She started getting down like 530 and she got down like maybe 518 or 512 at the end. Um, I'm not looking at it. I don't think she was in the five O's, but she could have been. Um, but I, I just remember I was like, man, if you could run this now, seven months postpartum, just off of what it is you've been doing, imagine what we can accomplish in Chicago. And uh, like, this is going to be a lot of fun. I don't know where we're going to get, but you know, I don't think breaking three is going to be going to be the goal. I think we're going to be talking about breaking 255 or 250 or getting closer to that number, you know, and I think she was kind of taken back by that because she had worked. So her first marathon was also my first marathon, and that was Philadelphia 2013. I didn't know that until after the earlier this week. I did not know that. And she um, she ran a 350 in that marathon. So to go from 350 down to 307, any athlete would be like, Wow, man, I'm nearing the, the the completion of my ability, but what a journey, right? So then all of a sudden, some strange coach that you just hired is telling you that you're going to crush three. Like, that's going to sound pretty foreign. Uh, but I'm just looking at the numbers on the page and what it is she's been able to do on her own and, and where I think we might be able to go. And uh, at the time, before before the fall of 2020 was completely canceled, it was, it was yeah, I, I think we can accomplish something that's well beyond three hours. Now, did you ever encounter, especially early on in the process, um, some self-limiting beliefs or um, things of that nature where you felt like you know, she was she was maybe unwilling to unleash the full Diane Neubauer experience onto her onto the running scene? No, I, I wouldn't say she was never unwilling to uh, put forth the effort. She was always willing and has since been always willing to go along with my suggestion of what I think is possible for her, um, which I think is beautiful. I think it's wonderful. Um, but inside of that, um, the, it wasn't until she ran a 5k in the summer where she, it ended up being like 3.6 miles or something. Um, so it wasn't really a 5k, um, but she, the classic she 6k the, masquerading as a 5k, right? And she, well, she came through the 5K in like 1730, 1740 or something like that. And that was like a, 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 like a, a 90 second or a, 
a uh, hundred second PR. Like that was massive. And she's like, where did that come from? And I was just like, told you, <laughs> it's been there, you know? Uh, and I think that was like the beginning belief because there's a big difference between running a really fast mile and, and running a really strong 5k, but she was running a really strong 5k in the midst of marathon training um, or at the start of it. So she was like, wow, I think there's something to this. Okay. Um, now I know there's going to be a lot of similarities with athletes that you coach, right? There's like, there's, there's, there's the bedrock principles that you're going to bring to every, to every person that you're coaching. But at the same time, everyone is an individual. So as you progressed as a coach with Diane, what have maybe been some of the things that you've, um, stressed and worked with her on slash things that you've had to tailor to her own unique family experiences that you, know, you as a coach have to make sure that you're, oh, you know, aligning the plan and changing the plan to whatever shifting needs she has so being a stay-at-home mom and a military wife brings its own sets of challenges that are incredibly unique uh it does also allow for a little bit of freedom but it's not like she could just leave her kids at home right so she would often be pushing them in a double stroller so when she would go out in double strollers it wasn't about pace per mile it was just go out have some exercise go for a run of around x time you know, as long as it was safe to do so, and it certainly was, uh, she ended up moving in that time. She moved to Mountain Home, Idaho, uh, to that Air Force base, which is like 3,500 or 4,000 feet of elevation or so. So she went from Missouri to to a different location. So she, you know, we're, she's learning a new area and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in the course of all of this, for her, she actually went from marathon after marathon after marathon in terms of training cycle, because as so many people did, once the spring of 2020 canceled, they focused on the fall of 2020. But races were canceling brick, uh, brick by brick or segment by segment every six months or every six weeks or every eight weeks, the next marathon would cancel and the next one would cancel. So Diane was left with, she, she was training for Chicago and then that that canceled out. Then she, we, we, we pivoted, we, we, we made a, 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 a choice for another marathon like six weeks later, that canceled out. And then six weeks after that or eight weeks after that, that canceled out. So there was always like this weird, this coiling of the spring, this pressing of the spring that we just never got to release. And so we, we took our time in the segments um, coming off of each specific block. Okay, we're not going to run this marathon, but we can't keep extending this marathon segment. So let's take a little downtime and then let's try it again. After like the third one, we decided to do a half marathon time trial, uh, where it's like, listen, you got all this energy, all this ability. Let's try to go do something. And I mean, it wasn't official or anything like that, but her husband, uh, husband of the year, uh, he, 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 I mean, being the, uh, the head of the police, uh, or the MPs, uh, on base, he uh, he was able to corral uh, some some friends and some coworkers uh, to to manage this this half marathon. It gave her even gave her uh, got her a finish uh, arch so she could have something oh, to finish towards, nice. which is really cool. I mean, how many people do that in a in a in a in a time trial half marathon? But she, I mean, at that point, I know it wasn't official, but she went from one twenty seven, I think, down to like one nineteen or one twenty, and that's a whole different world. Yeah. It, it, but she had all this development, all this power, all this speed. And we just try to manage, you know, like, like everybody, she was already stay at home. So it wasn't like she had to learn how to be a stay at home mom, like many other 
women or, 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 or men had to learn how to be a stay-at-home parent. It was something that she was already living. So it wasn't as big of an adjustment. It was just a little bit more isolating than she had used to. It, it was a little bit less of a transition because she had already been there uh, versus so many other parents who were then working from home and also being a stay-at-home parent. All right. Let's talk about that, you know, six to 10 minute decrease in half marathon time there. Obviously, that's a huge that's a huge number for anybody at any range, right? Like if you're going from two, 220 to 210. Kudos. That, that's an enormous drop, obviously, to go from what she did is, is, is really astounding. So when you think about her ability to do that, and you, and you chalk it up to certain factors, was this, you know, obviously this is a range, but was this a range of like, hey, building up her speed and endurance and really like trying to build her up as an athlete? Or was this more just, hey, if she brings the consistency here, things are going to fall in place because of what has already been there the whole time. Yeah, I think, I mean, she started to develop. She was running a little bit more than she had run. Uh, again, she was coming postpartum, but even in between, uh, it wasn't like she had already been running these these paces at threshold intensity or, or a little bit faster than half marathon intensity. So this is pretty foreign to her. Um, so I remember the first big workouts where, where we had uh, maybe you know, four miles or six miles steady at that intensity, there was a little bit of, I, know, I don't know if I can do that. You know, are you sure I can handle those paces? And it was just reminding her, hey, you handle this for a 5K. I'm asking you to run slower than this. You know, you can run slower than this and hold on to it and have it not feel as intense. So it was a, it was a, lot, a lot of reminding her of what she had accomplished to engage her into what her, what I wanted her to to attempt in her training. Uh, I think that was that's kind of like the overarching theme for her is reminding her of what it is she's been able to do so that she steps on the line with confidence. And that's not that in two years, that really hasn't changed. Interesting. So when you're in a situation where you're trying to really build up the athlete so that they are, you know, as confident as they need to be to kind of have the performances that match their fitness level. What is that process like without being, obviously you don't want to lay it on too thick and you don't want, like, you can't like, you can't be pumping up all the time, I'm assuming, because then all of a sudden that emphasis loses its effectiveness. So how do you go about doing that? Because I'm sure she's not the only person that you've coached that have fallen into this sort of, um, uh, this court of this, this this sort of setting. Well, I, I, everyone is different um, in that regard, um, but I think, and this is why I like racing because racing does tell the story. And if an athlete can't race, having longer sustained sessions can tell the story. I was actually talking about this very thing with Coach Pardon and Glovu just like two days ago. Um, he's got a half marathon coming up in just uh, maybe ten days' time. And he's going to be running the Indy Mini Half Marathon. And uh, I'm giving him some workouts that are pretty challenging uh, for him emotionally because he's, he's not used to doing longer sustained efforts at threshold. Uh, his training prior was a lot of broken up tempos, a lot of broken up sessions. And now I'm giving him three miles uh, times three, uh, five miles, 50 minutes nonstop at pace. And uh, he's, still, he's an Olympian. And he still comes into some of these sessions because it's foreign. Man, I don't know if I can do that. That sounds like a lot. Uh, and I said, pardon, uh, keep in mind that this is a pace that you're meant to handle 
for just over an hour. If you can't do it for 15 minutes, you're probably not doing it for an hour. So recognize that this is your fitness level. And I'm giving this because everything about your training says you can accomplish this. And we're not wrong. And he goes out there, he runs uh, three by three miles in like 1430 or a little bit faster than that. And I was like, I told you, right? He just needed a little bit. Diane's not too dissimilar. Leading into that time trial half marathon, she was running the McCurdy uh, our, our 5K, 10K series. And she ran like 36.30 or a little bit faster than that in the 10K by herself. So I said, Diane, if you can handle that for a 10K, all I'm asking you to do is slow down just a little bit and hold on to this for a half marathon. It's going to be hard, but it won't be hard until you get maybe 15, 20 minutes away from the finish. And you can handle that. So it, it's just kind of reassuring her with logic. Gotcha. No, that makes a lot of sense. And and when you're going through that constant marathon cycle without marathon, marathon cycle without the marathon. And I remember we had a woman on the podcast who went through that exact same experience, talked about how like, hey, it was like, this was not what I wanted to do, but it resulted in really good fitness because I didn't have to recover from the marathon. I did this little mini, mini, mini recovery. Um, you know, we're talking like a couple of days here, then getting into a new cycle after she'd like, after the cancellation kind of, you know, brought her down. You rebound, and then you get back into it. And she had the same sort of thing, I think, at a, from a different level. But she went from, like again, like a 320 marathon to breaking three without any marathons in, in the interim because she was just cycling, 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 and then was able to finally kind of explode. Yeah, yeah. And I think Diane's simil- uh, situation is so similar to that and, and so similar to so many people uh, across the world, right? Like, it, it, chances are you aren't training for a marathon that's getting canceled. So we could work on other things. Now, Diane was, but... We always caught it in time so that she wasn't, you know, she didn't have like 16 miles steady. It was always well, like four or five weeks before, six weeks before the race. Um, so we can pivot pretty well. And that led us into the McCurdy micro that we held uh, about a year ago. And when, I mean, we, we knew that races were canceling, but some races for professionals were taking place. So we, ho- we host our own races, six races across the country. Diane ends up running one, uh, one of them because the Buckeye Marathon canceled in January of 2021. So let's run the McCurdy Micro. And all of a sudden it goes from breaking three to the realistic fitness level of let's try to run 245. You know, it, it wasn't about who you were six months before or a year before or two years before, this is what her fitness level was. So this is what we're going to go attempt to do. And she ran 245.42. Matt, in 13 months, she went from, I I think I want to try to break three to all of a sudden this new level of ability to running 245. Just tremendous. That's great. And she shared with us just a couple minutes ago that, and she didn't want to say it too, because I asked her what any long-term goals were on the horizon. And she like, it was funny because this is not a video podcast. She's like, kind of said, oh, I don't know. But she had this enormous grin on her face. I like push back. I'm like, I think you do know because I'm looking at you right now. And you clearly, you look like the, what's the, what's the saying? Like the, the, the cat that ate the bird or whatever. Um, yeah. Like she had that, that <laughs> grin on her face. I'm like, all right, you have to share. And she's like, no, no, no. I definitely, she goes, I want to, I want OTQ. I want to see if I can get 237. And she, she also talked about how, you know, she doesn't want it to, the idea of that to overwhelm her, like so many, you know, like that's the the struggle that so many runners face, right? To have a goal, but then not to be overwhelmed by the goal and to be able to dissociate from it so you can actually do the work 
that can get you there without being obsessive and and really you know focusing too hard on something. So what's it like for you as a coach who's like, hey, we have this this big huge goal with this runner who obviously is improving a lot and and really showing a lot. And, you know, you want to help her get to that next level. So, you know, you have especially a, a, a goal that has a potential timeline on it. Obviously, you can she's still young. There's going to be more Olympic trials in the future. But it's not like, hey, I would like to hit X. There's, I want to hit X and I want to do it in the next 18 months because that's when the cycle ends. Yeah. You know, it, it once she ran 245, 42 um, last year, it was like, OK whatever the standard becomes, you know, we, we have this conversation with a lot of our athletes, you know, what do you think the standard is going to become? What do you think the standard is going to become? And I've been saying for a while, I really felt the standard for the women would be 237 because it made logical sense to me that the old B would become the standard or sorry, the old A would become the new minimum standard just because of how many people, uh, and, it, and it's 237. Uh, and what I love about Diane was yeah, there's a little bit of I'm not sure, but there's a hell of a lot more of let's go find out. And she might be quiet about it uh, and reserved about it, which I I don't want to take away from her. I think that's wonderful uh, because she she wants to live inside of what makes her feel comfortable with that. But she is not going to be afraid of going after it. Um, you know, Chicago Marathon was a really warm and humid marathon, and she beat some athletes that are really talented. And then she, she ran within 20 seconds of her lifetime PR. She ran 246 low. It was a tremendous race. It was incredibly calculated. It was, it was cautious, but she still ran within that ability uh, that she has. And to me, at that moment, that was her best race that she's ever run. Because even though it wasn't her lifetime PR, that was, at the, at the time, that was, okay, I can do this. Now we fast forward to Boston and uh, we take a big swing. Uh, her fitness was, it wasn't exactly 237 flat. The plan wasn't for 237 flat, but the plan was to go out and be as aggressive as we could uh, within, within a, a specific pace model. Uh, and let's just find out what we can, what we can do. Boston's a really challenging course. It's a, it's a challenge for even the best professionals. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many professional men dropped out of the race. And it wasn't like it was hot and humid this year. No, it was pretty close to ideal weather, especially for people who started early. Outside of it being really windy for many, many athletes, um, it was, yeah, the, the temperatures. I mean, it got warm in spots uh, just because the sun's on the pavement, but it it wasn't it wasn't the worst ever by far. And it wasn't it wasn't the best, but it, it was a good it was a good day. I guess I should put a caveat on it. It was close to ideal for Boston, which, as we've seen, has been a, a huge smorgasbord. We've, and we've talked about that in the past. Yeah. I think anybody who ran 2018 would take 2022 any day of the week, right? <laughs> for um, sure. But so we, we took a big swing. And, 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 and I set her up with, with another athlete that I, that I serve, Lauren Ames, who runs for the BAA. And they're in almost an identical fitness. So I gave them the exact same race plan and I, I introduced them to each other so they can talk to each other and they can reassure each other. And, uh, and I said to them both, I said, listen, we could play this safe. We can go out and run 242 cautiously and, 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 and run a fast time and probably beat some, some more women, uh, than, uh, than, than you would if you, if you blew up, but, that doesn't get us any closer to the OTQ than 237.01, 
or 247 or, or 250. You just don't OTQ. That's all, that's all that it means is that you didn't OTQ. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to be aggressive on this. I'd like to, I'd like to find out what it is we're missing. I want to take a swing. It's going to take a perfect day, but maybe we find perfect. Maybe we find out uh, that you have a lot more in you than you thought. And maybe it doesn't go well, but isn't it worth taking a swing at? Uh, and again, the plan wasn't to run 237 flat. It was more like 238, but that was really on the cusp of like, I mean, Diane had just run a, a one, 115.47 half marathon. So that's like right there, you know, you everything needs to be in line for that to kind of equal out. Lauren had run 118.30 or so at the New Bedford half marathon in a marathon workout. And it's a hard hilly course, but again, that's 13.1 is not 26.2. So you know, it, holding that same speed for the, for double the length of time, it, 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 it's asking a lot. And um, both felt when they finished disappointed because they didn't achieve, but they also felt like after we spoke, it was okay. Yes, I still accomplished. I gave it my effort. I gave it my best. I am not walking away wondering what if I I tried. You know, and I think that's really important because we're, we we learn some things, we understand some things, we know what it is we want to work on to develop, and yeah, I, I think I think running the OTQ goal for Diane is a very reasonable reasonable possibility. We have some things we got to work on. We got to get faster. We got to get stronger. We got to develop endurance, not unlike anything we haven't done in the last two years. So let's go. Let's find out. You know, I don't want her to. In 20, you know, whenever the, the trial, say say Houston Marathon is the trial on January 18th, uh, for example. Let's say that's what it was on, on 2024. It's not, but let's just say it was. I don't want her waking up on January 19th with regret on trying to find out how good she could have been just because we played it safe to run PR after PR after PR, right? I want her knowing that this entire cycle Everything that we've done was to find her absolute best. And let's just find out how fast she can possibly get. And uh, I think she's really on board with that. I think she's, she's really excited about the possibility of that. And it's going to be a lot of fun to, to continue to work with her as we, as we get closer to that goal. All right. Let's talk about that fun. So you learned some stuff in Boston. You, you, let's, let's talk about what the things that you learned and what the, uh, the short-term, long-term plans for Diane could end up being. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that we learned, um, is she, well, I've learned, we haven't really discussed this. So as she hears this for the first time, this is the first time that she's going to hear it. So, uh, I love you, Diane, but I'm just going to throw it out there. <laughs> uh, I think, I think Diane is a better, even keeled terrain racer. I think, massively rolling hills don't fit her as an athlete as well as a race like Indianapolis. Um, and I know CIM is rolling, but it's not as severe as, as, uh, as Boston. Certainly it's basically Boston without Newton. Um, I think, uh, the way Diane runs the structural form and technique of the way that she runs, she's going to suit better for something that's a little bit more even keel because when she's running those even keel, that's the way, that's the way she's been training the past few years. And I know she just moved to uh, uh, the Philadelphia area, um, but she's going to be able to train alongside the river and have those long, steady, um, those long, steady runs that are moderately rolling versus massive. That was one of the things that, um, that she was missing 
uh, in this segment was the ability to run on some pretty seriously rolling terrain. She had to work really hard to find that. And it, it was a challenge to find that for her. Um, technically, uh, I want to work on her technique. I want to work on her arm carriage. I don't want to work on her cadence. Uh, she's running very efficiently. But to me, I think there's probably still like 20% more that we can do. And if we're only 4% away, 20% is a huge jump. <laughs> there, there's a lot more room that we can do. So I, I want to I work on that structure, that technique. Uh, and we're going to work on that by working on some local summer series races in the Philadelphia area. Uh, 5Ks, 5 miles, and 10Ks. Maybe we'll get up to a half marathon in the early part of fall. And then we're going to take another big swing at this uh, in the later, end, uh, the later portions of fall. Um, you know, whether it be Indy or CIM or, or maybe as late as Houston, depending on family life and all that kind of stuff. Exciting stuff. James, as always, thank you for coming on and sharing your expertise. I appreciate it. And thank you so much for telling Diane's story. I think, I think there's so many fast women just put out a, uh, an article uh, today uh, about another woman from New Hampshire who started as a four hour plus marathoner and in Boston ran 242. For, for those of you who are listening that are in that four hour range, that 350 range, that 415 range, those men that are listening that are, that are 320 or three hours or 250, there is nothing stopping you from trying to find out just how fast you can be, except your willingness to do it. Are you willing to find out or aren't you? You know, so find yourself the, the group of people that will support you and, and cheer you on because we are, we are I, I say this all the time, we are shown time and time again that it's possible. Time and time again, the quote unquote average can truly find the best within themselves if they, if they want to. Well said, James, you're the man. Thank you. Thanks, dude. All right. I can't wait to hear what you guys thought of this new format. We got the, the 360 degree view of the athlete's progression from the athlete and the coach. And I, this was a lot of fun. I de definitely open to doing more of this. If you are a big fan of this, right? So I love trying new things, but part of that is getting the feedback on how it went. So if you have any feedback for me, positive, negative, or just some things that can help me improve the show, please reach out to me. The best place to get me is over on Instagram. You can find me at rambling underscore runner. You can either comment on the episode post that we do for this episode, or you can just shoot me a DM. Both will get to me. In either way, I will certainly appreciate the feedback. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. Just representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.